Good morning. Thank you, worship team. I think they did a good job and leading us a time of praise and worship. I just appreciate them and thank you. You may uh, go back to your place. And well, so fast is December. Praise the Lord. We all survive. God is good. And come to December, we can't help but think of Christmas. Yes, it's this time of the year where many of you are start putting up your Christmas tree. And hey, do you know that we also have a Christmas tree up on the stage? I'm not sure whether you can see it or not. Right? And uh, maybe our camera can uh, zoom in a little bit on the Christmas tree. And uh, just to give us some Christmas ambience that is in the church. And of course, we want to thank, you know, some uh, wonderful ladies who came and helped us with the Christmas tree, right? And uh, Sister Rosalind and Sister Josephine, we thank you, right? So that is our Christmas tree. And of course, not forgetting, since it's Christmas, naturally our attention should not be so much on the Christmas tree and all the shopping and all the gift exchange, but most important of all, our attention should be focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. And for the month of December, we will also have a golden rust, which will form part of my, not form part of my, indeed, is my message for today. Uh, so let's just flash up right, our uh, golden rust, which is, you know, uh, up there. And I want all of you to read aloud. Wherever you are, I want you to read aloud so that we can all, you know, Understand this verse together and it's going to be the golden verse of this month. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. For this morning, the Lord, our heart is excited because of Jesus. And uh, this verse is so important for us, knowing that, Lord, you have given your life to us. And God, you have given your son to us. So, Lord, we just pray that you will speak to our heart through this word, that whatever situation we may be in today, you will, we will look to the child that God, you have given to us. So, bless us, Lord and speak to our heart and encourage us to the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you realize that this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 9, was spoken during the reign of Ahaz, the king of Judah, which was about 700 years, 700 years before Christ was born. And during that time, Assyria was a rising world power. And Judah, the southern kingdom, was a vassal to Assyria. It was a vassal state, subjected to the Assyrian kingdom. And of course, the, southern king, uh, the northern kingdom, Israel and Aram, that time, you know, the nation of Israel is already split into the northern and southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom, Israel, together with another nation, Aram, they were pressuring Judah, the southern kingdom, to join force with them to turn against Assyria, to revolt against Assyria. And if King Ahaz refused to do so, we realize that Israel and Aram will combine force and they threatened to attack Jerusalem. So you realize that it was a time of political turmoil for the people. 
Judah was under stress. In fact, the entire nation was in distress. Things weren't looking good at all. Times were really hard. Now, the people became so desperate, the Bible tells us, that in the earlier passage in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 92, the extent that they even consulted the mediums and the dead, which is against the law of God. You know, in fact, Isaiah questioned them. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you consult the medium? Why would you consult the dead? Shouldn't you consult the Lord our God, who has given us his word? And so Isaiah rebuked them. And then in chapter 9, verse 2, he described the people as walking in darkness, in the shadow of death. So it was in the backdrop, against this backdrop of helplessness and hopelessness, that the prophecy of Isaiah came true. He had earlier given many prophecies of doom, but here Isaiah was prophesying hope and deliverance. And so therefore, I would like to entitle my message based on this verse, To us, a son is born. Unto us, a son is born. That's in this situation, in this darkness that the people are walking through, God gave them a son. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, this described to us the situation of the land at the time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. All right, can we have a slide? All right, he said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. You see it? So that was what happened during those times. It is what we call, I believe that, you know, uh, uh, this passage of scripture right, that Jesus have, uh, that uh, Isaiah has given, has prophesied, is a prediction. It's a prediction about the future. Uh, it was not so much about the immediate future of the nation, but it is a distant future looking forward, looking ahead, 700 years ahead of them until the time of Christ. And then Isaiah the prophet is telling them that even though you are walking in darkness, even though you are walking in the shadow of death, there is the hope and there is light because a child is to be born and a son is to be given to you. We believe that this verse is in reference to Jesus who would come to be the savior and he would become, you know, the, he, will, he will be the, the king that's going to rule. Uh, and he's going to be the one that's going to have authority over all mankind. So in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15 and verse 16, Matthew quoting this Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2, he quoted it, and at that time Jesus has begun his ministry, and he quoted it, and then he began to say the same thing, Matthew 4, 15 and 16, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. The way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentile. The people in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Almost word for word, you realize that Matthew quoted from Isaiah, and he was referring to Jesus. 
Because Jesus was moving among them, especially in the region of Galilee, as he began his ministry. And the people in Galilee, the very place, you know, and you talk about Zebulun and Naphtali, the very place that the king Assyria has once come and conquered them and devastated the land. It was the same place that Matthew said the light has come because Jesus began his ministry there. They were also living in Douglas during the time where the gospel was written. They were under another world power. They were under the Roman Empire. They felt oppressed. They felt unhappy. It was a time of spiritual darkness too, as God appeared to be silent. He appeared to be silent and they could not hear from him. There was no prophet for prophetic word until Christ came. So when Jesus began his ministry, he was indeed the light shining in darkness. Now fast forward to 21st century. Fast forward to where we are today. Towards the end of the year 2020, our situation is no better than 3,000 years ago where this word, Isaiah chapter 9, is being spoken. The problems of mankind remain the same because we inherited the same sin problem. We are still living in a land of darkness. We are still living in the shadow of death. And more so this year, when we see worldwide, so many people are dying because of the pandemic situation. Right? It's a worldwide problem. Mental health issues, mental sicknesses has affected people from all walks of life. It doesn't matter whether you are young or you are old. It doesn't matter whether you are rich or you are poor. And many more problems that is affecting mankind. Economical crisis. People lost their job. Right? And relationships soured. Right? And in fact, you know, domestic violence is on the rise, especially during the time of the lockdown. Every country in the world has its own set of problems. Every form of government has its own questionable policies and practices. A story tells of one day, three good friends gathered together to have a chat. And one of them was a surgeon, one of them was an engineer, and one of them was a politician. They talk about all kinds of things, and finally, you know, they say, what do you think? Since we are all professional, what do you think is the oldest profession in the world? And then suddenly, this surgeon lighted up. He said, huh, surgeon is the oldest profession of the world. And his friend looked at you. Are you sure? He said, yes. It traces back to the book of Genesis. When God wanted to create woman, he actually put Adam to sleep. And he took a rip out of his sight and he created woman. You see, surgeon is the oldest profession of the world. And then this time, you know, the, the uh, engineer said, no, 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 I think you are a bit too late. You must trace back way back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. You know, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, you know, and it was a mess, the world was in a mess, and God created a beautiful out of the chaotic mess. That is the work of an engineer. Uh, create something beautiful, beautiful structure out of a mess. And now the politician cannot wait anymore. He interjected. He said, no, ah, there you got it. Before the world was created, there was chaotic mess. 
and you know who caused the mess. Do you know who caused the mess? I'm sure we know. Politician caused the mess. No wonder the world is in a mess. There is political unrest in so many countries, and even in our country too. Uh, in our country too, and you know who caused it. But in such chaotic mess, there is a promise of hope. For to us, a child is born, a son is given. This announcement came in the midst of unrest. It did not come during peace time. It came during war time, a time of unrest. It speak to the darkness and say there is light. It speak to despair and say there is hope. And it speak to chaos and say there is peace. The solution to the world problem is a baby, a child to be born. Isaiah prophesied the birth of a child. The birth of a child usually brings about much joy to the family. Our parents and grandparents and siblings will gather together, and they will look at the newborn baby usually, and they're full of joy. And we know that the newborn baby often symbolizes new life. It, it symbolizes purity. It symbolizes hope because there is always a future for the child. And parents are very proud of the the the, the newborn, and they have a, a a big dream for them, and they hope for the best for the child in their future. It symbolizes hope. While people are walking in darkness, God sent forth a child to bring hope to mankind. But this was no ordinary child. This child was not only special, but this child was exceptional. He was extraordinary. Let's talk about the unique nature of this child. The unique nature of this child. This verse tells us something about this child. And it speaks first of all of his humanity because he was a child to be born of human birth. In Galatians chapter four, verse four, the Bible tells us that when the set time has fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the time was fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So therefore, you know that this was a child is born speak of His humanity, the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus was to be born of a woman. This shows that he was fully human. He went through the normal human development. The 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 fetus will develop nine months huh, in Mary's womb, and then went through the natural birth process. Come out with the umbilical cord, with the placenta, and everything. And he grew naturally, just like you and me. The humanity of Christ. That is his unique nature. He was God who became fully human. He understand the struggle of humanity. He subjected himself to the weakness of the human nature. The Bible mentioned that Jesus was tired after a long walk. He was thirsty. He was hungry when he was after being tempted, uh, you know, by the devil. He needed sleep too. He was tired. He slept in the boat. A fully Human, but then it also tells us a son is given. It speaks of his divinity. It speaks of his divinity that he was not only fully human, but he was also divine. 
This a son is born is a very unusual statement. Right after following after a child is born. Why did the scripture say a child is born and then follow with the phrase a son is given? I believe this is significant because it shows us that the human child to be born in the human way was indeed the son of God given by the father. In John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible tells us that for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That's why this verse didn't say a son is born, He said a son is given. It indicates the divine nature of Jesus. Now, in other words, Jesus was with the Father all along. The Son was already with God. You cannot give something that you don't have. You cannot give something that is not in existence. But because the Son was already there, the Son was with the Father, the Son was in existence, you realize that it speaks of His divinity. In other words, Jesus put aside His divinity. He was eternal with the Father. He put that aside to become human being in order to live among us, to minister to us. A child is born, fully man. A son is given. His divinity, he was God. And went on to say that and the government will be upon his shoulder. It speaks of his sovereignty. It speaks of his sovereignty that the government is upon his shoulder. He, he will eventually set up his kingdom. And this child to be born, he was indeed the king. The Christmas carol that we sing, glory to the newborn king. And he came not just as a baby, but we know that the kingdom of God is upon him. And when, when Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, it was symbolical of his kingship. One of the charges against Jesus when he was arrested was that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. In his trial, he was given the purple robe. They put a crown of thorn on him. And the soldier make fun of him by bowing down to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They were actually making fun of him, mocking him. But of course, Jesus himself did not really claim to be the King of the Jews. It was an accusation. It was a charge against him. It was his accuser that put words in his mouth. But when he was being asked by Pontius Pilate, and this is what Jesus answered, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. Right? In other words, Jesus said, that my kingdom is eternal. And therefore, in, in chapter, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, all right, following after this verse, he said that of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness from time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In this, he tells us that his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Today, Jesus is already ruled in the hearts of men. He has established his spiritual kingdom, people of all tribes, all tongues, all nations, and knowledge he is Lord. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will come back again the second time. No longer as a baby, but this in his second coming, he will come as a king to establish his eternal kingdom. He come to rule, he come to reign. 
a child is born, a son is given, the garment is upon his shoulder. What a wonderful saviour. He is fully human, fully divine, and he is king. Not only he had this unique nature, but there is this unique titles given to the son. And let's take a look at the unique titles of the son. In a very simple, straightforward sentence, different titles were bestowed on this special child. And no one else in the world is worthy of such description except the Son of God. What does he say? He says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. No human king can ever live up to such a title. There were those who interpret this passage as, well, maybe Isaiah was referring to the next king. There is Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, who's going to take over from his father. You know, maybe it was referring to him. But definitely, Ahaz could not meet up to this. Ahaz, no doubt, uh, sorry, Hezekiah, no doubt, was a good king. He was a good king, but Hezekiah's kingdom was temporary, and his, and his rule was plagued with wars and hardship as well. He certainly could not live up to such a title. And this morning, I want to bring your attention to the title that was given to Jesus. And there are so many things in it. There are so many to, to unpack in these titles. But because of time, I'm not going to go through all the four titles. I'm just going to run through two uh, and, and just give us, you know, an understanding that in, in these two titles, the first two titles is already so much. And the next two titles, I'm going to leave it next week to Pastor Donnie to handle. But this week, I'm just going to handle the first two. All right? First of all, it's Wonderful Counselor. In some older translations, they may put Wonderful as one and Counselor as the other, as though they were two different uh, titles. Well, there's nothing wrong because we know that Jesus indeed is wonderful. Indeed, he was a good counselor. But bearing in mind that in the uh, Hebrew language, there's no punctuation. And so this was added by translator. So therefore, many modern scholars believe that wonderful is a, a description, is an adjective to counselor. He is a wonderful counselor, right? So Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And this wonderful counselor can be literally translated uh, as a wonder of a counselor. A wonder of a counselor. And then the Bible just tells us in Isaiah 20, 29, that the, the, uh, that the Lord of hosts, He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. He is wonderful in counsel, He is excellent in wisdom. And that is what Jesus is. Now, we all know the role of the counselor. The role of the counselor is one who helps, one who, who guides another, especially those who are in need. And of course, in the biblical time, the king sits as a counselor. The king's rule, the king's judge, and the king give counsel, the king give advice. That's what the counselor is supposed to be. Right? And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is also called the counselor. Because the Holy Spirit has come to lead us, the Holy Spirit has come to guide us. The Bible tells us that when we go through persecution or taken to the court because of our faith, it says that you don't worry what to say because the Holy Spirit is going to put words into your mouth because He's going to be your advocate, He's going to be your counsellor. Words of wisdom, words of counsel will come from Him. So this child, this son is a counsellor. He has come to lead us into all truth 
and he does so in a marvelous way. Now, while Jesus was on earth, he taught and he gave counsel with great wisdom. Even at the age of 12, he was able to debate with the religious scholar of his day. And whenever he went through, he preached the word, he gave a divine counsel. His teaching was full of authority. His teaching was full of conviction. It, it captivated the heart of men. It convicted their heart. And at the same time, it liberated their soul. They were liberated from sin. They were liberated from bondages. They were liberated from the law. And therefore, you realize that the people want to come to him. They came to him for advice. Nicodemus came to him in the night wanting, wanting to know how to, to, be, to be born into the kingdom of God. Right? How to get saved. Another person seek his advice and say uh, had to do with inheritance with his brother. He had some dispute and he came to Jesus for advice. And Peter wanted to know about forgiveness. He said, how many times should I forgive my brother? People came to him for counsel, for advice. Crowds sat down. They were glued to his teaching as he propounded the sermon on the mount. Indeed, he was a wonderful counselor. But do you understand the word wonderful? What does the word wonderful mean? The word wonderful in Hebrew is not just referring to something marvelous, something great. Right? It's not just referring to something, wow, so exciting. But actually the word, the word in Hebrew for wonderful gives the idea that it's something supernatural. It is something miraculous. It refers to a phenomenon that lay outside of human explanation. That means it's something that is not natural, but supernatural. And the same word is used in Psalm 139, verse 6. Psalm 139, verse 8. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It describes something wonderful. It's too wonderful. I can't comprehend it. I can't explain it. I can't understand it. That is wonderful. That is amazing. It's beyond human. Right? The word is also found in the Song of Moses after they came out of Exodus. In Exodus 15, it described the Exodus experience as something wonderful or miraculous. So Jesus is not just any counselor. He is a wonderful counselor, a marvelous, miraculous counselor. And what does that mean to you and me? What does it mean to us that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? It means that Jesus is the type of counselor that will take us through the miraculous. Hallelujah. So when we are in need, when we feel helpless, when we are at a loss, and, and he will counsel us in such a way that far exceeds our expectation. He will give us a wisdom. He will give us the knowledge. He will bring about something miraculous in our life. The result is going to be miraculous. Amen. That is a wonderful counselor. So therefore, when we come to him, he will be able to journey with us through the miraculous and the result will be something that's far exceeding our expectation. He is our wonderful counsellor. So church and friends, are you in distress? Are you at a loss at what to do in your life? Are you needing guidance? Jesus, he is your wonderful counsellor. 
He's able to give us the needed direction in life. He can. He can make beauty our ashes. And He can indeed lead you through the miraculous and put you back to the place of security. That is a wonderful counselor. The second title description is that a mighty God. A mighty God. What is the meaning of a mighty God? Referring to this son as a mighty God. As I say, it speaks of the divine nature of Jesus. He was with God the Father in the beginning. Now, the word mighty God is actually a compound title, El Gibo. And we all, all know the Hebrew word El Shaddai, right? So El refers to God. And usually the compound word depends on what is it there, you know? So El is referring to God. Gibor is actually means strength. El Gibor means God is our strength. But it's more than just strength. Gibor can also mean power. It can also mean hero. Now, in fact, there's no English word that can adequately translate the word Gibor and El Gibor. Not enough English term to translate it. The English translation usually focus on strength and power. That's why they use combine strength and power together. Must be mighty. La. You have strength, you have power, mighty. Okay, so we put it as a mighty God. But do you know that the strength is not just being strong. It's not muscular strength. It's not athletic strength. It's not that you go to the gym and get a six-pack on your body and say, I am strong, I am mighty. It's not that. The word strength, Gibo in Hebrew, the word strength, it refers to the military type of a strength. It refers to the strength of a warrior. Now, just like in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, it referred to King, it referred to David. He was not king yet. It referred to David. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who know how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Right? And the word used, he is a warrior. He's a giver. He is strong in the sense that it's not just muscular, but a warrior type. A warrior type, a military type. So the emphasis actually is not so much on the strength. The emphasis is so much on hero. Because giver here means strength, power, a warrior type of strength. It means hero. Uh, one with the strength of a warrior, the military type of strength. Simply put it, God is our hero. You realize that David was a hero because he slayed Goliath. Compared with Goliath and David, who is stronger? Physically, Goliath is stronger. Who seems to be more mighty? On, from the human perspective, Goliath seemed to be more mighty. But who was a hero? David was a hero. Hallelujah. So therefore, it tells us when God is mighty God, not this child is mighty God, it's just not so much of his strength, but that he is our hero. This really, you know, when I begin to meditate on this, you know, I begin to understand this. Wow, God is our hero. In his earthly ministry, Jesus has demonstrated his power to show that he has the right to be recognized as a mighty God. He has power over nature. He calmed the storm. He has power over diseases. He healed the sick. He has power over demons. He delivered them. He has power over sin. He forgave. He has power over death because he himself conquered death. He rose from the dead. And therefore, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, described 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. And of course, the most important characteristic of Gibo of Hero, you know what is the characteristic? Right? It's the characteristic of courage, the characteristic of self-sacrifice, the characteristic of being a warrior, the characteristic of moral excellence. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus was full of moral excellence. They cannot find anything wrong with him. They find no sin with him. Pontius Pilate cannot find anything uh, that they can, they can you know, put him to death. So he, had to, he, he just had to give in to the wishes of the people. He had to wash his hands. He said, I cannot find any fault with this guy. Moral excellence. He was self-sacrificing. He gave his life for us. He died not for himself. He died for us. He sacrificed himself. He was mighty in battle. He fought the devil. He fought sin. He fought death. And he came out victoriously. He conquered the death. He conquered hell. And he conquered the grave. That's a mighty warrior. That is a, our hero God. Hallelujah. Not just a mighty God, but hero God. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, tell your family, say, hero God. He is our hero God. Where you are, just tell one another, he is our hero God. So the mighty God is a strong God that fights our battle. He's a warrior God that is victorious. He is our hero God. He is the real superhero. All the superheroes that you watch in cinema are all fake. All the marvels and all the superheroes you like, they are all fake. He alone is our superhero. What does it mean to us that Jesus is a mighty God? As he is a strong warrior God, he's able to empower us and strengthen us in our moment of weakness when we are tired when we are weary from our daily battle, battle with life, battle with sin, He is our source of strength. He will help us fight our battle. Each and every one have our own battle to fight. Jesus, He can help us fight the battle. He will deliver us. He's our hero that will give us the victory. Whatever circumstances you are in today, there is nothing too hard for Jesus because he is the mighty God. What a jam-packed verse that describes Jesus. The child is born. A son is given. And for all the supernatural titles, today we can only digest two. It's already wow. Wow. And we will leave the other two for another week. But today I just want you to meditate on these two. That Jesus He's a wonderful counselor. Whatever you are going on, whatever you are going through in life, look to him. 